Uh, today's Palm Sunday. It gets confusing sometimes, I think, when, when, we, uh, when we take things out of order, out of the calendar. And so today's a little bit confusing given our text and, and the day that we celebrate. I was talking to my sister last night, and she was getting ready for her service this morning in Fargo. And we were talking text and how do we talk about it and how do we explain it. And the, the whole weekly progression is confusing. So let's just explain this. We started out with the celebration, the Parade of Palms, which is very much what happened in Jesus' day when He rode the donkey into the city of Jerusalem. And they say they laid palm branches on the ground and, and laid their cloaks on the ground for the donkey to walk across. That's what we're celebrating today, but in our text, we're actually on sometime very early Friday morning. And when I, when I looked at how we were going to do this, that was very intentional, because when we leave here today, the next time that we get together will be Good Friday evening for the drama. And so it's squishing a lot of days together without a lot of explanation, but that's really what's going to happen. And so we're going to have a little bit of a different end to the service today. And I'm going to invite you all, hope you all come back and bring your friends and folks you work with and, and everything else. Let's fill this place on Friday night because it's wonderful and exciting to celebrate Resurrection Sunday, but Resurrection Sunday didn't come without a tremendous cost from Jesus. And so when we leave here, we'll be getting prepared for Friday night, Good Friday night. It's Palm Sunday. We read about it in John 12. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. The people were praising Jesus. The long-awaited Messiah was there. Jesus led this parade in His honor, and now we're in this Gospel at the end of the week, and things have turned. Things are not what that week started out to be. Jesus understood it. The disciples were confused, and the people were predictable. See, we would have expected what would have been normal in that day is that a king would have ridden into town and Jesus rode in on a donkey which signified He was a king that brought peace, not war. And what He would have done at the end of that parade is He would have taken His seat on His throne. And so you've got a heavenly king with an earthly throne for the Jewish people, the king of the Jews. But instead, it's Friday morning. Jesus is on trial Israel's long-awaited Messiah, the promised Savior of the people, is on trial at the hands of a Roman for his life. So if you're following along, we're in John 18, the 33rd verse. You can open your Bible there. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? It's kind of like with texting. We have to be careful to put how someone meant to say something, too much weight on that. We just kind of have to take the words. It can get easily misunderstood. I'm not sure what Pilate's voice was. Are you the king of the Jews? But I think what Pilate probably said to Jesus was, there's only a few of them in the room, and I think he looked at Jesus and he said, so are you the king of the Jews? I think he's trying to understand who this man is that's in front of him. Is he a threat? Is he an equal? Is he someone who's coming to take my place? He's direct. He's to the point. There's no expectation. There certainly doesn't seem like there's any disbelief. A simple, are you? He's looking at Jesus simply to say, yes, I would imagine. And we would expect from what we've read in John to this point that Jesus' answer would have been a very simple two words, right? You would expect Jesus to have just simply said, I am. That's what he said before. Those words that identify God throughout the Bible. We would have expected I am. 
But today, with his life literally on the line, today Jesus chooses to respond differently. Jesus looks at Pilate and he engages him in conversation. He doesn't say yes or no. He doesn't say I am or I'm not. Jesus said, do you say this of your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? And I want to go, wait a minute, Jesus. And I am would have sufficed. How about you just say, yes, I am, and let's see what happens. It's not what Jesus does. What is up with that answer? But I think what he's really doing is saying, Pilate, where do you get your news? Where do you get your information? Is this fake news, Pilate, or is this real news? Where do you get your information? And Pilate answered him, These guys are having a conversation that really isn't a conversation. They're kind of jousting with words. Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? What have you done, Jesus? What did you do that the people who I hear you came to save brought you to me looking for a death sentence? What have you done? Jesus, what, what, what did you do to them? It's the ultimate question for Jesus because Pilate is actually getting to why the Romans are even involved in this situation with Jesus. They didn't really worry themselves much with Jewish laws. Things didn't, as long as things didn't get out of control, they let the Jewish religious folks kind of take care of their own. And yet here's this man that doesn't seem to be too much of a threat standing in front of him. See, Pilate knew the Jewish religious leaders, they didn't have the right to give someone and enforce a death penalty. Especially not on a well-known figure like Jesus because everybody was watching him. There are other folks, and soon we'll see about Stephen, who was stoned. And the Romans just kind of turned a blind eye to that because, well, sometimes that happens. There's no revolt going on there. They're just taking care of their own problem. But Pilate's clearly been kept pretty well informed about Jesus. Jesus isn't unknown to him in this Jewish city that he oversees. The problem the Jews have with Jesus is none of Pilate's concern. The only way that Pilate could be worried about it is if the Jews were able to do something to convince Pilate that Jesus was a threat to the Roman government. Then we've got an issue. Pilate's job is to keep a peace and to make sure that no uprisings or revolts come up from the Jews or from anybody else. See, if they could prove that Jesus was a political instigator, if he was an insurrectionist, if he was someone who was going to give the Romans a hard time of their rule, then Pilate would be forced to be involved. Only then could the Jews get the death penalty on Jesus. And Pilate knows That's what they're trying to accomplish. So on Sunday morning, Jesus rides into the city to the acclaim of everyone around, calling Him the King, the Messiah, hallelujah. Every wonderful thing they could say, they threw out into the air for Jesus. And the rest of Sunday passed. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, things started turning. Thursday, Jesus has the Last Supper with His disciples. Judas betrays Him and Jesus Jesus is bound and brought before the Romans. That's why Pilate's question and Jesus' answer is so important. 
when we understand Pilate's the local ruler of the Roman world, but also the peacekeeper of the Jewish world, we can begin to understand this jousting that's really going on. Verse 36, Jesus answered him, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. How do you think Pilate heard that? Kingdom. Servants. Fighting. In fact, Jesus is drawing some kind of a line of separation between His servants and the Jewish people. And this is the explanation why Jesus has done nothing to defend Himself. Because Jesus is a citizen of another kingdom. Jesus, like you and I, shouldn't be concerned about what happens in this life. You and I as Christians are citizens of another kingdom. You and I have a home that's in another place. You and I have a life to look forward to that is far beyond anything we'll ever imagine in this life. Jesus is referring to that kingdom. Pilate is caught up in this world. He assures him that he's really no political threat to Pilate's kingdom at all. But Jesus makes this claim to a kingdom, a kingdom that's not of this world, and a kingdom that's populated with servants who will fight for him. So Pilate says to him, So you are a king. Because Jesus didn't deny it. In fact, Jesus introduced the discussion. So you are a king. See, Pilate isn't doubting Jesus, he's trying to understand this man in front of him. Jesus is on trial, or at least a pretend trial. And Pilate is trying to do his job and to get to the evidence that's before him. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. Jesus just said he had a kingdom. You say that I'm a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Jesus didn't deny that he was a king. Pilate was able to make that move on his own. Something about this Jesus guy. Something about him is compelling and intriguing. Something that Pilate wants to take time to actually get to know better. So now this Roman leader is talking to a man who claims to be a king. But not only that, Jesus makes an additional move. Jesus claims to be the king of truth. Jesus claims to be the king of truth And he says, everyone who is of the truth listens to him. Now Pilate is curious. So you've got a kingdom and you're a king and you've got servants and they're willing to go to the war and you say that you stand for truth and everyone who listens to you knows the truth. One could almost understand those as fighting words. And Pilate comes back to him and he says, what is truth? I wonder how he said that. Did he say, what is truth? What is truth? Maybe it was, eh, what's truth? That one we understand, don't we? We do because it's the same question we're asking today. And it it, it is, and you know that it is, and I know that it is, because all that we hear about anymore is fake news. Right? What is truth? Isn't that what you want to know? You've got a preferred news outlet. 
probably on television, maybe on the Internet. And you go to that over and over and over for your news because you believe it. You accept it as truth, even though there's another side that says it's absolutely wrong. What is truth? Is truth simply a matter of what you want to believe? Is truth a matter of who's telling it? Does truth have any connection to reality? See, fake news has taken over America. And what's the point of demanding of someone that they're creating fake news? Well, it's to ask for the truth. So are we really just asking for different fake news? And if we really want the truth, where are we going to find it? See, something in Pilate knows that this guy is for real. Something in Pilate knows that this Jesus is serious. What he doesn't know at this point, though, is two things. He doesn't know what Jesus has done wrong. And he doesn't know the truth that Jesus is speaking of. He just knows that this man in front of him, who it seems that Pilate has some amount of respect for now, stands for truth. Pilate doesn't question him on his truth. He just simply asks what it is. Pilate makes that statement, what is truth? And I think it fits so well into our world understanding of truth. Pilate seems to think truth is relative. Pilate seems to think that truth is questionable, changing. Maybe if it isn't real, what is truth? It's a good question. And that's the end of the trial. Jesus is on trial for his life. And he has this discussion with Pilate in whom his life is in his hands. And they establish that Jesus has a kingdom, servants, servants who are willing to fight for him, and that he stands for truth. Pilate says, what is truth? And the trial is over. The question isn't answered, which means you and I have to answer that question. What is truth? After he said this, he renders a verdict. And it says in verse, uh, at the end of the verse, he went back outside to the Jews and he told them, I find no guilt in him. I can find nothing wrong with this man. Jesus makes claim to a kingdom, to servants, and for all Pilate knows, to an army that he hasn't met. And Pilate walks out and he says, I find no fault in him. And I want to yell at Pilate, you wimp. You can do better than that. There's more at stake. So in this audience full of Jewish people, it strikes me that their king, their Messiah, Pilate just decided that he didn't find any fault in him. Why then did the Jewish people say, then why are you holding him? Why did you beat him? Why is he standing in front of us bloody? But they didn't. Pilate simply says, I find no fault in him. There is no guilt in Jesus. And yet Jesus is still in custody. Why is he even here? Why did the Jews not rise up? For the same reason that we back down. We don't like to confront our sin. We don't like to have to think about where it is that we have transgressed God's laws. We don't like to have to look sin in the eye and see our own faces. And like those people, we don't like to look into the face of innocence when all we see is our own guilt. Verse 39, Pilate goes on, and now he's addressing the Jewish people. Jesus would be off to the side somewhere. He'd be hearing the whole conversation. 
And Pilate is out probably on a platform much like this and the Jewish people are in front of him. And he says, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So he's going back to, here's this agreement, here's this thing that we have. I, I grant, you, grant you clemency for one of you every year that we've got in custody. Your custom is. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? There he said it. Your king. Pilate, no doubt, has educated himself somewhat to what the Jewish people believe. And they know, he knows that they're looking for a Messiah, that they're looking for a Savior, that some say this man is even it. And Pilate says, do you want me to release to you the King of the Jews? Pilate could find no fault in Jesus. Seems that he may even like him. So he makes a statement that assumes the people would want Jesus released. Not only does Pilate not question, tells him he finds no fault, but he, he gives Jesus the title king. In fact, he gives them the title of their king. Pilate made it clear that what the Jews were waiting for, the one they were waiting for, stood before them. Their Messiah, their Savior, their King. But also the reason that they brought Jesus before him, because Jesus had dared to be their king from another kingdom. And Pilate said, I have no quarrel with him. Even though he claims to be an equal with me. In fact, Pilate wasn't a king. Which would have put Jesus in the hierarchy of things well above him. Pilate says, I find no fault. So now it's time for the people to speak. And of course, what the people said is, yes, please give us Jesus back. Right? Pilate, thank you for seeing clearly, for taking the time to talk to him, for showing us what we had overlooked. Thank you for making clear what we weren't seeing clearly. Nope. In verse 40, they cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. It says, Now Barabbas was a robber, and depending on who you read, there was all kinds of things that Barabbas was called. I, I love what Kirsten read earlier, something about uh, that Jesus was hanging around people of questionable reputation. Oh, that makes me feel better. Listen to folks talk around here. I've got a questionable reputation. Guess what? To somebody out there, so do you. Aren't you glad Jesus loves you? They cried out for Barabbas, a man with a questionable reputation. It's also called a petty thief. Some say he was a murderer. Some say he was a political insurrectionist that had risen up against the Roman government possibly even pretending to be the Messiah Himself. He may have been the one that came announcing that He was the Savior before Jesus did. There's a lot of different ways that Barabbas has been explained. Whatever the story is, we know that he's in jail for a good reason. And the people want him out. I think we have to ask why. Why do the people not want Jesus released? And why do they want this robber, this insurrectionist, this possible murder out? Someone who's going to cause them nothing but trouble with Rome, and yet they're demanding that he be set free. A guy who they know is going to make their life difficult. And, and if I'm a father and I'm standing in that crowd, I'm not asking for Barabbas to be let loose. I'm thinking of my kids. I'll take Jesus, thank you. And yet I wonder if I had actually been there, if I would have had the nerve. But I know I wouldn't want Barabbas back on the street. And yet the crowd cried 
for Barabbas to be freed. The Bible doesn't tell us why. It doesn't give us an answer to why the mob wanted Jesus put to death and a possible murderer to be given a second chance. So we've got to keep reading and keep trying to understand it. As I look at this passage, I think this is what's happening in America today. Things aren't very much different. People who should know better are quiet. People who say that they stand for something suddenly find something more important to stand for. People who really know the truth are asking, what is truth? Same thing's happening in America today. Example, we find, sue, and punish a couple who choose not to bake a wedding cake, while at the same time we protect and publicly fund those who murder unborn children. I don't mean to get political, I mean to be serious. We look at this 2,000 years ago, and if you don't see that we are caught up in the very same thing in America today, you're missing it. You're missing it completely. What you're doing is you're putting your politics ahead of your faith. And what those Jews did that day in demanding Barabbas be freed is the same thing that we do. They silence and shame anybody who would speak out. And they demand anything that will make them feel better. And what we see in here happening in our country today is really no different than what's happening at this scene at the end of Jesus' life. The crowd, us, doesn't want anything to do with the truth. We want to feel better about who we are. We want rights without responsibilities. You can tell me if this is an America you're familiar with. We want rights without responsibilities. We want God's blessing without obedience. And we want reward without effort. We want to feel good about what we do and what we believe no matter what it is. And like Pilate, we have put truth on trial in America. And truth is losing. We have decided that we will make laws against truth. And because you can't disprove truth, we will outlaw truth. We will overrule truth. We will make laws to allow other things to stand in the place of truth. And America stands by and watches it happen. And like the crowd that day, we cheer for it. But here's the deal. Jesus didn't lose then and He isn't going to lose today. Once again, it's those whom Jesus chooses to save who are missing out. There's one other significant thing about this passage. I preached about it before. It needs to be mentioned again today. It's the mysterious name Barabbas. Who is he? doesn't talk about him in the Bible anywhere else. Odd name, odd guy. doesn't say what happened to him. doesn't even say where he comes from. We don't know and the Bible doesn't tell us. And I think there's a reason for that. Because Barabbas is the man who stood in for you and I 2,000 years ago. Barabbas stood in for all of us. When we start thinking that we would be the one who would jump to Jesus' defense, we have to be careful with that. I'm not sure that we would. How quickly do we do what Peter did? We just looked at it a couple of weeks ago. He would rather stand with the crowd than stand out from it. He would rather fit into the wrong people than run away from them. How often do we do that? Barabbas was the crowd favorite. 
He's a crowd favored over Jesus, and Barabbas was that crowd, just like he is the crowd screaming for rights and protections and laws that violate the Word of God and those that choose to believe and uphold it. Barabbas is us. Key to Barabbas is in his name. I'll tell you how we know that. In Jesus' day, names often told a story about who you were, very often similar to what we understand in our Scandinavian culture. And Barabbas was made up of two parts. And so what I want to do is explain, first of all, if your name is Johnson or Olson or Larson or Thompson, somewhere back in your family history, that told you something. It told you who the father of a son was. Son of Lars, son of Oli, son of John, right? We understood it. It's why Jesus of Nazareth, it's where he comes from. Names told us something about people. It told us who their father was. It told us where they came from. It, it told us something great about what their parents saw that the child might become. Names told a story. They were not given lightly or frivolously. So Barabbas has two parts to his name, just like Johnson has two parts to that name. Interestingly, Bar means son of. Just like Johnson helps us understand, Bar helps us understand. And so if Barabbas is the son of, what's his father's name? Abba. What do you know that to be? Father. Which tells you absolutely nothing. Barabbas isn't the son of John or Lars or Oli. Barabbas is the son of his father. That's it. Nothing more telling or identifying or specific than that. For all intent and purpose, he's nobody. Or, he's everyone. He's every one of us who are the son or the daughter of our parents. He's us. How do we know that? Because at the insistence of that crowd, Barabbas, every man and every woman guilty as charged with their sin and without excuse, is set free and given a new chance at his life in exchange for the life of Jesus, the only Son of God, our Savior. Barabbas was the first man to be given a second chance because of the death of Jesus. Barabbas is you and I. Barabbas is the one who was set free. We are in the crowd and we are the one who was let go. Pilate asked the right question. He said, what is truth? Got a lot of different renditions of truth, don't we? There's your truth and there's my truth. There's America's love affair with relative truth. Truth is what you want it to be. Truth is whatever you choose to believe. All kinds of different truth. And there's the absolute, unchanging, trustworthy truth of God that is Christ Jesus. That's the truth I think Pilate was trying to get at. So Pilate asked what truth was, and I'll ask you. Remembering Peter last week who refused to stand for truth. What truth will you stand for? As Jesus stood before Pilate in front of that crowd full of his own people, Jesus stood all alone. Jesus didn't have anybody next to him. On Friday, when we gather for Good Friday for the drama, we will have a very clear understanding of how alone Jesus was on the cross. Alone. So will anybody stand with Him? Will any of us stand with Him? Will you dare to ignore the fake news? 
Will you dare to stand against the unbelieving world that would make fun of you for your faith? Will you call relative truth just what it is as an excuse to continue in our sin? Will you stand against political correctness and the crowd that demands it, and if you're not, you've got to be silent? Will you stand for that? See, America fills our ears with false truth. Are you willing to stand against all of that and stand for your Savior? See, that's the question this week. Jesus gave his life so that Barabbas and you and I might live. Will you believe that? Will you accept that? Will you live for that? The Jewish leaders and the religious people used the Roman government and its laws to get what it wanted. Even though it was against their own best interest, they refused to stand for their God. And God allowed their rebellion. Christians in America today are not only standing for social and political beliefs, we're marching for them. Even when this agenda that we might be standing for is in direct opposition to our Lord and to our Savior and to our eternity, we stand for it. Because we are so much like that crowd that demanded the release of Barabbas. Will our faith lead our politics or will we too demand Barabbas' release and allow ourselves the feeling that we're actually okay and not that bad after all? So we talked last week, are you willing to take a stand? The question hasn't changed. Are you willing to take a stand for Jesus who gave His life for you? Maybe this week you're going to encounter somebody who that's the question that they've been wondering. What is truth? What is truth? What is love? What do you believe anyway? What is your church really all about? There's plenty of things that are said without truth. It's fake news. But there's a few things that are true. And what we're all about is sharing the good news of the love of Jesus for everyone, no matter what your reputation is. On your way out today, I'm going to challenge you to take a stand. I'm going to challenge you to grab a handful of these little business cards. The front of them gives you an idea of where the message is going next Sunday for resurrection, the back is service times, and our address. Very conveniently, the perfect size to give your friends and neighbors and coworkers and other people and invite them to church next week. Are we looking to steal people from other churches? We absolutely are not. We are in mission and ministry along with other churches. But what we would like to do is take an opportunity to share the good news of Jesus with anybody who will listen. The next stop for Jesus, and this is where we're going to pick it up this week on Sunday, the next stop for Jesus is the cross. We'll have a clear understanding of that on Friday. And then on Sunday, we'll celebrate His resurrection his new life. And what we'll find out is that that cross that was supposed to end everything actually opened the door to love the way the world had never known it. So if you're going to stand for anything, stand for the kind of love that only Jesus can have for you. Stand for the kind of love that Jesus has for folks who don't go to church. Stand for the kind of love that can't be taken away and that lasts for all eternity. That is the message on the front of the card. That cross that was supposed to end everything actually opened the door to eternity. In the meantime, what will you stand for? Will you insist that you're right, whether it's true or not? Or will you stand for Jesus who gave His life for you?
Let's pray. God, this things are getting serious now. Things are getting heavy because we know that we're looking at having to deal with the end of Jesus' life on earth. We know that Jesus went to the cross for our sins because we could do nothing about them other than continue in them and in the death that it would lead to. And so God, as we leave here today, help us to be mindful as we go through this week that while we get the joy of the celebration of Resurrection Sunday, we don't get there without first going past the death of Jesus on the cross. A death that He willingly chose for us. And God, in the power of Your Holy Spirit, help us to be strong enough to stand for Him. In Jesus' name, Amen. Drama Friday night. I hope you would come and invite your friends, family, neighbors, co-workers, whoever else. Next Sunday, two services. First one's at 8.30. Second one is at 10.30. As you go through this week, realize that we have a celebration that is going to be of the highest order. As Christians, it is the biggest day of our year. But we don't get to that celebration until Jesus has to go through and die on the cross. See you on Friday for Good Friday Drama Service. Thank you all. Have a great week. Next Sunday, 8.30 and 10.30. Thank you.